Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast amongst Keyforge pals. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, but my mom calls me Alex. And as always, I'm joined by my Keyforge pals. We call him Boulevard Paper Fight or Coach. You know him as Blake. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And of course, the heart and soul of Help from Future Self, it's our boy, the Wheeling Keyforger himself. What's happening, Rick? What up, what up? So uh, keen-eared listeners will probably note the fact that I was not present on the podcast last week. In fact, we had a fill-in. It was our pal Dan from Sanctimonious uh, filling in on the show very much. Thanks to Dan. Um, I'm back now, back from vacation, and uh, nothing really happened while I was gone in the world of Keyforge, did it, guys? Pretty pretty quiet. Yeah, nothing happened. Nope. Nothing at I all. Mean, <laughs> I might be being slightly facetious. As it turns out, whilst I was away on vacation, a brand new Keyforge set was announced to come out fourth quarter 2019. The set is called Worlds Collide, and there is so much to talk about. So no spoilers, but this episode of Help from Future Self is all Worlds Collide. We're going to talk about the new mechanics. We're going to talk about the new factions, the rotation out, and cards that we're excited about. I am so excited to talk to you guys about this right now. Um, This is exactly the kind of thing I want to see from Keyforge right now. The game is is not standing still, and I feel like FFG has really taken the ball and is running with it. Um, there's been many, many things uh, going through the various Keyforge communities lately, talking about the fact that it's one of the most popular games in the genre right now. It is third behind uh, MTG and, of course, Pokemon. And so I, I feel like recognizing that and trying to like keep the game alive and vibrant and exciting and engaging for people is a very good move. And this set feels very much that way to me. Would you guys agree with that? I definitely would, yeah. It's it's growing, it's continuing, and I'm loving it. Yeah, for me, this set's got me so excited. I'm, I'm pretty much halting buying any more Keyforge decks right now, I think, and just uh, putting that money in the bank in an account dedicated just for Worlds Collide at this point. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, even like looking at the artwork and like the presentation for it, it feels like something like new and exciting. And that's not to take anything away from the Age of Ascension, which is a set, you know, that just feels like it just came out really and kind of actually did. Um, but, uh, you know, it, in many ways, I feel like uh, it felt very much like first generation Keyforge, like everything basically felt very much the same way as it did in the first set in terms of presentation and the way that you bought it. And everything about Worlds Collide feels like it's taking that and it's refining it somewhat, which I think is really cool. We're not going to get super deep into like the economics of how it's being released, but there's a bunch of new vectors to like get a hold of Keyforge that are going to be coming with Worlds Collide. I mean, of course, we're going to have the ability to just buy a standard you know archon deck like you can now but there's also this deluxe archon deck concept that they're trying out like the premium box they're trying out it's all really cool stuff i'm really excited about it yeah i'm i'm super excited too and i'll be sure to put a link in the description for this episode that links to showing more detail of what we've just touched on with these new sets but i like the premium one i think it's going to be a fun one to have for sure in the collection Yeah, I I definitely could see myself doing that. So why don't we start off by talking a little bit about some of the mechanics that are going to be introduced with this new set. Um, We've got four of them. There's Ward, Enrage, Exalt, and Haunted. So we'll start things off. Uh, Ward is a brand new keyword mechanic, and the way Ward works is essentially when a creature is warded, you put a ward status counter on it. Then when that creature would leave play, you discard the ward counter on it, and it 
basically gets to stay on the board. So it's a way of protecting your high-value asset creatures. And just from the preview cards we've seen, there's all kinds of ways that wards can be put on creatures. Some creatures can ward themselves. There's some upgrades that impart wards on them. I think this is cool because it's uh, one of those things like uh, we always talk about how there are certain high-value targets that you always have to take out. And, you know, the moment they hit the board, it's almost a guarantee that if your opponent can take them out, they will take them out. What does it mean when you can actually immediately put a little something on them to make sure that they last for yet another turn if your opponent doesn't have multiple uh, ways to, to kill them over the course of the same turn? Yeah, I agree. I think this uh, this is going to be a game changer in a lot of ways. I'm curious to see what cards will exist to basically stop or maybe not even be as high value. Like, Are we going to have really high value targets that want to be protected? Or with this in mind, are the creators kind of thinking about a way of developing it so that there's more of a, not like a super high target, like we have like a Dusk Witch or something like that, that you know always wants to get killed. Or like, a, I, I doubt we'll see a Restraint Guntist in the next set. I feel very strongly that that may not even exist because of Ward, because that would be crazy. If you put a Ward on a Restraint Guntist and you really cannot deal with it, that would be uh, something painful. I would actually consider that slightly broken. <laughs> yeah, we ever so slightly. We be getting to that point, yeah. All right, next up is Enrage. So this is more of a defensive mechanic. Uh, basically, you enrage a creature, and if a creature is enraged with an enrage counter on it, it has to fight, and when it fights, you get rid of the enrage counter. So it's not probably something you're going to be putting on your own creatures. This is the thing that you throw onto a creature that has a good reap ability, or that you, if you have a fat battle line in front of you, you throw it on your opponent's creature, any one of them, to force them to fight into your fat battle line. So it's it's an interesting mechanic. It's not one that I know that I'm super like excited about in terms of what it might mean for the game, but I think ultimately it, it, it'll have a lot of utility. It'll be interesting to see how it gets applied. Yeah, I, th I think it's going to be interesting on creatures that are being put next to taunt creatures that they're trying to protect. And if you enrage it and make it have to fight into it like if it's a one power or a two power creature then you most likely know you're getting rid of it so i think it's an interesting mechanic it feels it feels very brobnar like let's be let's be honest let's call a spade a spade here it seems like yeah. something brobnar is using as almost like a a board not a board clear but a creature control mechanic that could exist so i, I see it being very much on the brobnar side of things very much so I almost see it as a way to, like, force people to play the Brobnar game. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that AOA had a couple of cards uh, that really sort of, like, all right, you don't want to fight, you have to fight. And as a Brobnar player, you know, that that's very exciting for me because it basically increases the utility of so many of those big Brobnar bodies. Uh, let's move on to the third mechanic. This one is called Exalt. When you exalt a creature, you place one amber on it from the common supply, just like captured amber. If this creature then leaves play, the amber is added into your opponent's pool. So, of course, this isn't a beneficial uh, to you mechanic unless you have one of those cards that allows you to take amber off of your own creatures that's been captured there. This is more like a cost that you're going to incur for using other powers and cards, which is interesting to me because, of course, it creates that value proposition. Is what I'm going to do with this worth enough that I'm essentially putting Amber into my opponent's pool, if not immediately, then at some point in the near future. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's I think it's maybe the most interesting one because you are having to be more strategic and there is going to be more gameplay thought, but it's also creating an enticement for board states as well, which I'm wondering, uh, you know, in a post-coda world, 
the board state is becoming a little bit more of something that is developed and utilized more than it was. And I think this is just one more aspect to make it that way. And it's almost like a tax in a way. If you want to get this effect, you're going to be taxed of potentially having to give up this one ember in the future. So I think it's going to create a lot of interesting gameplay and decisions. And it's just going to be interesting to see how powerful those trade-offs become as more cards are revealed. Absolutely, 100%. Rick, do you think we get to a point where we start making like tables where we go like, this is worth an exalt, this effect, this effect, not worth an exalt? Because I could definitely see getting to that point where we're sort of making even like little spreadsheets or cheat sheets for ourselves where we really try to break down the value of an exalt what does one amber to our opponent cost us in the same way that we might think twice about playing like a fuzzy Gruen or another card that imparts uh, amber to your opponent? I'm not really sure about a spreadsheet per se, but it's there's going to be some things in people's minds as they're playing to evaluate at that moment what's best for them and if it's worth it or not. And it's definitely going to be mixed into the gameplay. But as far as the spreadsheets and all the the mental work beforehand, it'll probably be there. I just don't know if everybody will do it. I think it's going to also come down to you look at a list and see the value of it based on your opponent's Archon list. Because there could be some cards that are going to get rid of, like board clears, for example. If you're putting a bunch of Ember on and they have a board clear, that really works to their advantage. So board clears could have a more value against decks that really rely on Exalted. And we could just see how, or we're just going to have to wait and see how this plays out and more cards are revealed and see how impactful this truly will be in that sort of situation. You know it. Coming up last, but to me, the most exciting new keyword and mechanic that's going to be coming with Worlds Collide is Haunted. So basically, it's uh, how they refer to it is it's a pre-qualification for a card to receive additional abilities or mechanics. The idea is that you, as a player are haunted when you have 10 cards in your discard pile. So if there are 10 or more cards in your discard pile, if you have a card that says haunted on it, it will give you an extra bonus when you play it. Um, There may in fact be cards that require you to be haunted before they can be played. So essentially you're creating a real value for not getting those in your opening hand for really hoping for them a little bit further down the line. But some of them may be in fact, and I was thinking about this on my way home, when I was thinking about uh, recording this evening, what if we get to a card in which it's actually creating value for big discards as fast as possible to get to that haunted state? What if you have a card or a series of cards that really entice you to discard as much as possible because by turn three or four, you want to be in that haunted state of mind? It's coming. It'll be coming. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and then it's also going to be like, you maybe you have cards that you realize it's near the bottom part of your deck and you're like, oh dear, I don't want to go through my deck and end up losing my haunt trigger because it's one of the last cards in my deck, which is also very interesting as well. So it's that balance between making sure you go through your deck and not going through too fast and not being able to utilize the ability. Rick, of those four new mechanics, Ward, Enrage, Exult, Haunted, which one are you most excited to see as part of the game? For me and my playstyle, I'm I'm loving Ward. I can't wait for it. It's just going to help my play, I think. As an untamed player, do you see a lot of those witch targets uh, getting a little bit of ward love from you? Oh, definitely. What about you, Blake? Yeah, I'm with Rick. I'm I'm most excited for ward. I, I think being able to protect some high-value targets 
uh, is going to be very beneficial. And so far, I've seen some things that I'm going to want to keep around. So I would love to see how that plays out. Uh, I do think Exalted will be good. But for me, it's like we don't have enough information of what those true trade-offs are and, and the ability to get rid of them. So I can't really commit to that one. But the ward being able to protect a creature that has a really powerful reap or passive ability, I think, for one more um, destruction mode seems uh, very, very saucy. How about you, Alex? I said it before, baby. Haunted. Haunted all the way. Haunt me to the grave. Take <laughs> me there. I am so excited to see what that brings to the game. Um, I, I, We only know of one card so far, I think, that has the keyword, which we might be talking about a little bit later. Hint, hint. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so psyched for that because it creates such a plethora of different ideas and decisions around it uh, that we've already talked about a little bit. So uh, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about the makeup of Worlds Collide. There are two very notable things about it. One, we're going to be losing some of our familiar factions for this set. Presumably they may return in a future set. And we're going to be gaining two brand new houses. Let's talk a little bit about those brand new houses. We're getting the Saurian Republic, Dinosaurs, and we're getting the Grand Star Alliance, which is essentially Starfleet from Star Trek. Um, Flavor-wise, what, what kind of vibes are you guys getting off this? I'm I'm loving the dinos. Um, I'm excited about the Star Alliance, but uh, I'm not really a Trekkie fan, so... We'll see how it goes, how much I like them, but I'm excited for the artwork at least. It, it looks great. Yeah, for for me, I'm, I mean, dinosaurs and Greek and Roman mythology. I those are like right in my heart, right there. I can't I can't be more excited for that one. And that was my initial reaction. But as I've seen some of the spoilers of the cards from the the Grand Star Alliance, I'm finding myself really liking the way that that house will play. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So right now I'm kind of like, give me decks that have both of those and maybe Shadows or Discs. I think that'd be a, a lot of fun. Or even Logos, I think, in those two would be a really cool house combination. So yeah, I'm, I'm going for I'm going for Dinos as my my go-to because that, that's in my heart. But I think both of them are super exciting. How about yourself, Alex? Which one are you really excited for? I mean, I, I gotta say, as much as I love dinosaurs, and I am absolutely loving the fact that they chose to combine dinosaurs with, like, ancient Greek and Roman, like, philosophy and mythology and so forth, I think that's a super cool, fun idea that plays so much into what makes, uh, you know, Keyforge a cool game. I, I gotta go with the Grand Star Alliance, man. I want Star Trek in my game. And they're nice. giving that to me, and they're creating more personalities, which I'm a big fan of within within the game of Keyforge. Um, obviously, I'm inspired by the Fuzzy Gruen. He's one of the first things that really inspired me about the game was seeing that card on numerous other cards and really getting the idea of like, okay, this is a personality that reoccurs across you know different scenarios within the game i love that they're creating other characters within that um that sort of feel like sort of these archetypal star trekian characters and having them within uh keyforge is really cool to me so i'm very much looking forward to seeing how they all play of course one of the things that we got to face up to as well is that for this set worlds collide no mars no sanctum guys mars and sanctum going out how do you feel about that Personally, I I'm lukewarm on Sanctum, so six of one half dozen of the other. I'm just starting to like Mars, but they're again one of my lower like houses. So let's bring these new houses in, see what they offer, and then bring the old ones back. 
Yeah, for for me, I it kind of in a way it kind of sucks because those are the two houses that I really weren't I wasn't that keen on in Coda and AOA really had me start warming up to them. Uh, especially Sanctum, I would say. I was really excited to see certain Sanctum cards, and I never really had that before. And Mars as well. Still, I feel like it has the issue of you still need to get a certain combo of cards to be really good, but when you got it, it was so good, and they definitely improved in AOA. So I think from a almost like a diplomatic standpoint, those two are the ones which will cause the least amount of waves for the most part, except for maybe for a couple fellas who run a Sanctimonious podcast who might be a little uh, hurt by this. Solidarity. But, Solidarity yeah. to the Sanctimonious bros. Yeah, but other than that, I think it's a it's a good choice and it's going to make for a really interesting uh, play and just new possibilities within the game. So I, I'm I'm not disappointed with this. How about yourself, Alex? What, what are your thoughts on, on these kind of the loss of Sanctum and the Martians? Um, the Martians, I guess I can kind of understand. You're introducing a faction which thematically has a lot in common with them in the Grand Star Alliance. Um, with Sanctum, I, I, I will be very interested to see the way the set is designed to make up for the lack of Sanctum and sort of the standard Sanctum abilities. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we don't know enough about the card set yet to know what kind of design space is opened up by them rotating out and the new houses rotating in. I will definitely miss having some of those Sanctum and Mars decks. But at the same time, you know, this isn't goodbye forever. It's not like this is the last we're going to see of these guys. They might return in literally the very next set. Maybe uh, Saurian Republic and uh, Grand Star Alliance also stick around for that set and like, Dis and Untamed get rotated out, or Shadows and Logos. We have no way of knowing that yet. It's a good decision. It creates a ton of new possibilities within the game. It makes the game feel fresh and new, um, especially, too, where, you know, we know for a fact that the way that the game is built is in using older cards. You know, we're, we're basically guaranteed with the Saurian Republic and the Grand Star Alliance that we are getting entire houses of cards we have not seen before. And taking out two houses that we've seen before means that we aren't going to be seeing those already familiar cards from them. So it creates a lot of freshness as well. I will miss them, but we'll see them again in future. And then it'll be like bringing something fresh back to the game, but something that already has some familiarity to it. I support it as a decision. I think it's smart. And we're going to also be seeing the biggest set that's been ever released as well as a result of this. There's 405 cards in this one, which is uh, the biggest one yet, which is kind of interesting. Enjoying that there's going to be more cards now, I have a question for you, fellas. Do you think we'll ever see a rotation of Dis and Shadows at the same time? And if even one of those got rotated, do you think that's going to have an impact on the potential appeal of a of a new set? Because those are the most popular two sets that exist, or two houses within a set, and the decks that are played. Do you think that will impact the way a set is perceived and sought after? I've heard a lot of complaints about the Distant Shadows still ruling the game. Um, I think a lot of people will definitely be happy about that if it happens. But I also think that it would be a big blow to the game if they both were to come out at the same time. Alex, how about you? I'm of two minds about it. Um, I would honestly love it if they went ahead and took out both Distant Shadows at the same time, because it would reinvent the competitive scene in certain ways, especially for events that focus on playing the new set. 
With that said, unless the design space created by the addition of whatever is replacing Disson Shadows has ways to deal with Disson Shadows, you're going to just see people relying on their old standard Disson Shadows decks that have already been dominant for such a long period of time. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think that, uh, Blake, you kind of convinced me of this. Maybe just one of them rotating out with another house would be a smarter move than Disson Shadows together. Yeah, I, th- I think it would be almost like too much of a shock, and and I'm I'm just worried that you'd s- that people would say like, oh, this this set X set is not nearly as powerful as the other ones because we're missing these, so it's not we're not going to see any Vault Tour um, champions running like houses or running decks from from this set because they're just missing the you know the sauce that gets us the wins that we want and the you mean steel right we, basically yes steel and then the <laughs> control that comes from dis in many different ways. So I, I think it's I think we will obviously see them rotate at some point. It's just interesting. I'm wondering if maybe we even see two new houses like in the future that are gonna have some sort of steel or something to make sure that mechanic still lives on since it's such a crucial part of the game and has become such a a force that has to be reckoned with and that people rely on as their tournament winning decks. We are eleven episodes deep on this podcast. I wanna mark this time right now, because whenever we get to a set where none of the original houses are represented because they've introduced and rotated so many houses. So we're looking at like the Saurian Republic, the Grand Star Alliance, um, the Brotherhood of Vampires, uh, <laughs> the Sisterhood of Merfolk, um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, once we get to that point, I want us to mark that as an episode and say way back in episode 11, we speculated about this, but yeah. that's, that's a couple of years in the future. Oh yeah. That's, that's looking far into the future. All right, so here comes the really fun part. We have a lot of spoilers to talk about, and we're not going to do the thing where we go through literally every spoiler. Um, There are a lot of other great podcasts that handle that sort of thing. What we're going to do is we each picked three cards that we are excited to play with um, and then, you know, once the set actually comes out, we'll actually be able to talk a little bit about them and, and what has us excited about them and whether or not they lived up to our expectations. But for right now, just the ones that first blush that get our motor running, that get our imaginations firing, uh, we're each going to talk about three of them. So let me throw it to Rick. Rick, what is your first pick from a Worlds Collide card that you are excited to get to play with? The first one is from the Saurian Republic. And as I think both you and Blake know, I love the key cheat. So my first card is the Colosseum. It's an artifact, and it reads, After an enemy creature is destroyed while fighting, put a glory counter on the Colosseum. And it's an Omni. If there are six or more glory counters on the Colosseum, remove, remove them and forge a key at current cost. So you're still paying six for the key, but you can do it anytime during the turn. And I'm just, I'm excited to play with it. Yeah. Key cheats are obviously a great part of uh, any house. And that one is quite interesting because if there is a board state happening and let's say there's a bunch of exalted creatures out as well, you could literally just fight into exalted creatures, destroy them, get your glory counters on top of it, be adding more ember to your pool and then get to pull that off, which would be really cool. Blake, what do you got for us? So my first card comes from the Grand Star Alliance, and it's Calvin, but it's uh, like Calv-1N, and it's a two-power robot creature with a fight reapability of draw, but the caveat of this is that 
Calvin can also be played as an upgrade instead on a creature that has the same effect of fright or reap and draw a card. I just think that utility of being able to not be stuck as an upgrade so you can play it as a creature itself or put it onto a bigger creature that where the fight ability is going to be more useful is uh, really cool. Just having that new ability to utilize something in a different way than we have in the past is really exciting for me. And I just like the fact that you get to draw more cards. Super cool. Using it as an upgrade or a creature, it, it really intrigues me. So again, I'm looking forward to that as well. All right, Alex, uh, what's your first card that you, uh, you're you super pumped about? Academy Training is a Logos upgrade. It reads, if you control this creature, it belongs to House Logos instead of its original house. This creature gains Reap, Draw a Card. So two things that I think are really fun about this, and it's not super flashy. Like, it's not, you know, going to explode the game in the way that some other cards might uh, once the set comes out. I like the idea of one. If I manage to steal a creature from my opponent through all the myriad ways that can happen, you know, Harlan Mindlock, et cetera, et cetera, one, it lets me make that creature into a Logos creature. I think that's cool, although it might be very isolated circumstances in which you get to use that. Two, creature gains a reap draw card. There are so many cards that just have a playability and then just sit in your battle line. And they're either a reap machine or they're a fight machine. This lets you take any one of those creatures that you've already gotten your value from their play effect and you give them a little special sauce, a little something that just gives them more value to you. And I like that a lot. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, Rick, number two, what you got for us? Again, from the Saurian Republic, uh, Quester Jarta. It's a three power creature, no armor, dinosaur politician. It has elusive and it's got a reap ability. You may exalt. Quest of Jarta, Jarta, if you do gain one amber. Yeah, that's super cool. That's that's like a straight trade-off because you're you're basically giving an ember potentially, and you're also getting an ember. So that's kind of really cool. Yes. I also want to point out the fact that, gentlemen, we spend all of our time playing a game in which there will be a card who is classified as a dinosaur politician. And if people <laughs> aren't excited about that, I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> I, I'm loving that idea. So my second card is also a Saurian Republic card, and it's called Axiom of Grisk, and it's an action card. Its playability is ward a creature, destroy each creature with no ember on it, gain two chains. So it's basically going to start rewarding you for exalting your creatures, which is kind of convenient that I chose to talk about this one right after yours, Rick. Because you could essentially set up a, a thing where you're exalting all the way across, and then you do a board wipe. Uh, and get rid of stuff and you can even ward your own creature that maybe does not have an exalt or ember on it which means you're gonna get to get that creature saved that one turn so i think that's a really cool um, strategy card to help you kind of set up your board wipe in a way that you would like so i think that's pretty awesome and i feel like two chains is a fair number for that effect mustard on the beat if it gets you two chains uh my second card <laughs> is uh, I must be an upgrade frame of mind right now because I went with a uh, Grand Star Alliance card called Force Field. It's an upgrade, gets you a pip of amber for playing it, and it says this creature gains reap, ward this creature. So you put this on a creature, and then literally every time it reaps using whatever reap ability it might have, it gets warded on top of it. So imagine throwing this onto like a Witch of the Eye. Every single time the Witch of the Eye uses its already crazy good power, you get to save the Witch of the Eye from at least one removal from board attack. That's so good. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that one too. Professor Sutterkin? <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> I think we're going to see Professor Stutterkin again. I feel very strongly about that. Oh, yeah. I I hope so. All right. What is your third and final card you're excited for in Worlds Collide, Rick? It's, again, sorry, in Republic. Chantapubris. It's a creature. Or action, sorry. Pictures are a little fuzzy. It's got a play ability. Move one ember from a creature to another creature. So nice. if uh, if you've got something that's near death, move the amber, kill it, and you can take it. Yeah, it says move from one creature to another creature. So I guess you can technically move an exalted ember from one of your own creatures to your opponent's creatures and then kill it and get that ember. Yep. So it doesn't Absolutely. specify friendly, does it? Mm-mm. Just yeah. says a creature. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, what do you got for us, Blake? Third and final. So this is the card that I am the most excited about. I even posted it on Instagram, on Twitter. I was so excited for it. It's called the Philophosaurus, and it is a four-powered dino philosopher with a reapability that says you may look at the top three cards of your deck, archive one, add one to your hand, not draw, it's add it to your hand, and discard one. I mean, getting to go through three cards of your deck and getting to save one for later, get one to play right away, and then putting one in your discard, which is going to further help your haunt uh, status occur, is just seems so powerful. And it being a reap ability on a four-power creature, it just seems amazing. Like, that is that is my ideal card right there. I cannot think of wanting anything more unless you... No, I can literally not think of wanting anything more. You're getting an amber, you're getting to see your deck more, and you're getting to plan for the future as well as the present. It's absolutely fantastic. My most favorite card to come out. That is a Blake card to be certain. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I'm like, Blake, all over it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that one. And how about you, Alex? What's your last card? Saving the best for last. A brand new kind of card that we have never seen in the game of Keyforge before. We're going to be talking about the Grim Reaper. What house does the Grim Reaper belong to? No house at all. The Grim Reaper is what we like to call an anomaly. It is going to be a fairly rare, is my understanding, uh, fixed uh, rarity creature that has no house. It can appear as part of any house. So you do not have to have any specific house in order for a card like the Grim Reaper or any other anomaly to pop up. It just pops up as part of one of your three uh, three houses in your 36-card deck. Super cool, super interesting that's almost all I want to talk about with it, just because I think that mechanic is super cool. But the power that the Grim Reaper has itself is actually really neat. It is a robot specter creature. If you are haunted, meaning you have 10 cards in your graveyard, it enters play ready, already dope, reap power, purge an enemy creature, and a friendly creature. Purge. So that's not even destroyed. You are literally taking them right out of the game. I love it. Um, Big trade-offs, the capacity for it to come in and immediately take out a high-value target at the cost of one of your own targets, uh, or cost of one of your own creatures, including the Grim Reaper itself, presumably. Just great. It's going to have a lot of utility. It's going to be very dangerous when it hits the board. Um, Yeah, it's the kind of card that I like to see in the game because it ferments chaos. And uh, that's the kind of game I like to play. I don't like it when things are predictable. I like it when things are uh, a little bit uh, a little bit chaotic. I like it when things shift around a lot and you don't know where things are going. Guys, this set's going to be amazing. I'm sure we're going to get more spoilers as time goes by. Unfortunately, we're running a little short of time right now, but otherwise we could keep talking about this new set for, for hours, I'm sure. But we do have to get in one last part of the podcast, one of our regular segments. It's the one we like to call Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Rick, I understand you have one for us this week. Oh, I do. Uh, I I got a deck 
for Sealed a week ago, and in that one week span, I've played it 30 times, and I'm just, I'm starting to autopilot. I'm not looking for the best plays. I just need to put it away, I think, and move to a different deck because I'm becoming too familiar, and it's just ruining my gameplay. Really? That's interesting. How ex- I like to hear more about how you feel it's ruining your gameplay because for me, I have a deck that I've played over 30 times, and for me, I'm having the reverse where I'm autopiloting, but it's making me not have to think as much, so I'm doing my lines of play more fluidly without having to exhaust too much mental energy. So I'm curious to hear how this is affecting you in the complete opposite way yeah it's it i don't know it's just i'm not like, it, think- like getting careless or is that what you mean yeah i'm just i'm not thinking oh, okay. and i'm autopiloting going for the cool moves not the good moves uh i see what you're saying like you you know when the good what the good moves are and when they happen so you're you're kind of playing towards them rather than just what makes sense with the situation yes very much oh, so. okay so what what's the your uh your future yourself telling you now just be wary of how much you play it and not to get too comfortable with the deck. Interesting. I mean, switch, you mean like switch it too, up a complacent, little bit more little too complacent with the deck. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I've, yes, I've had a similar experience before where before a tournament, I jammed a game in that week span a lot and it, be, and it you almost become numb to it. I think if you, yeah. if you take a, a couple of days off and come back to it, you're going to find that your experience will change. I feel and I know you got a bunch of new decks, so that won't be hard to achieve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got a couple that I'm really excited to play. That is about it for yet another episode of Help from Future Self. You can find us on social media at HFFS Podcast at Twitter. I'm on Twitter as Scud as he grew You can also find me on Instagram. Blake, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter mainly being uh, involved in conversations and dialogues at BLVD Paper Fight. That's a Boulevard Paper Fight. You can find my YouTube channel there as well. And what about yourself, Rick? I'm on Twitter as the Wheeling Keyforger. All right, let's get out of here. I'm sure we have all kinds of games that we want to jam on the Crucible right now with our AOA decks. Shout out to my buddy Arthur, who worked on some of that implementation. Thanks very much. Until next time, stay forging. (laughs) 